Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, we all saw the sporting world come to a halt for the second time in 2020, this time as a protest of police brutality and racial inequality. Why did the NBA and other leagues choose this manner of protest? Should they finish their seasons? We will discuss all that and more. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me is John Nekersov. And John, how are you doing this week back at Liberty for the first time of this year recording? Yeah, it's strange, kind of like after I guess it's been five months since I last recorded in a dorm. Back then, you know, you and I were sitting across my dual-sided microphone and cramming into uh, into a little dorm, and now I'm in a dorm and you're in a nice fancy studio. But last year here, it's kind of fun. I'm doing lots of audio classes at the moment, sports editor at our old newspaper, and just trying to cram as much as I can into a busy schedule and I'm excited for the Premier League to come back in like two weeks. So it's been interesting. It's been busy, but I am glad to be back for as long as we're here. What's the scene over there over there at Liberty? Does it feel safe? Is it a little nerve wracking? Is it not too bad? Yeah. So, I mean, when I got here, everything, you know, people, people are masking up well. People are, I think, endeavoring to be as socially distant as they can. I can't speak for what it was like before I came, but by... Friday of last week, university was like, you know, guys really need to take this seriously. And I think it seems like people are really trying to take it seriously. So that's been good. You know, I, I hope we stay. I don't really want to go online again. But, you know, I mean, no one knows what's going to happen in this day and time. Like, heck, I, I could have COVID right now and I wouldn't know. So, you know, yeah. How about you, sir? I'm doing well, uh, kind of just in my, my same old routine. I feel like I don't have any interesting <laughs> things to update about anymore. There was like a, there was a good like three weeks there when I was like changing locations and getting married and all these like busy times and I was just like still at work still going home just chilling. <laughs> Chad's gotten to the slog of a regular life and he's like oh wait yeah I just I I do the exact same things every day and then my bank account just auto reloads every month and then I just carry on as normal. Oh, <laughs> a working man. But yeah no things are things are really really good. Um, the weather's hot everywhere especially here i feel like i'm dying but i get to go to the pool at least three or four times a week so that's been delightful i guess i guess that's the highlight the pool has been the highlight of my week pools pools are really a highlight we have one right next to our dorm so i need to i still haven't been in it after an entire week so i maybe tomorrow saturday i don't know when we're releasing this but that will be the day i'm gonna try it i'm also in desperate need of a haircut which is probably not a good thing to mention on a audio podcast in which i'm wearing a hat so not even you can see my hair (laughs) But it is long and shaggy, and Megan has been telling me to get a haircut for like three weeks now. So that'll probably happen at some point. The important questions are like, when did you last get a haircut, I guess? Oh, it's been a while. May. It's been a hot minute. Oh, May. Like May. Yeah. Yeah. I can't go. I can't last that long. Like the size of my hair just start like poking out. I start to look like like a dandelion, basically. Like... The dandelion that's been like cut, most of the things have been cut off, but like there's just like the, the little short ends sticking out is really that's sad. That's a looking. really great word description. <laughs> I really I try like to that. Be, I try to be a poet, you know? If anyone here does any uh, memes, please Photoshop a dandelion onto John's head and then send that to us because that would be a delightful thing. It really would. I'd, I'd make it my profile picture for like a total of three seconds. John, there's there's no way to transition from light banter to serious topic, but we're gonna have to do that. And so 
obviously there is one sports story this week. We're recording on a Friday. Hopefully this will come out either Saturday or Sunday. And on Wednesday, we really saw the whole world, sports world, shut down again mm-hmm. uh, for the second time. The first time because of COVID and now because of racial justice protests on Sunday night. Obviously, Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back after an altercation with police in which he was going to his car. He is, uh, according to his father, paralyzed from the waist down. This was in a small town in Wisconsin. And so on Wednesday, the Milwaukee Bucks, who, if you know your U.S. geography, are uh, pretty close to that area where that happened. They just decided to not take the court for game five of their playoff series against the Orlando Magic. The Magic were out there warming up, and the Bucks just didn't show up. And as a result of that, the other two games that night got canceled. All the games Thursday, all the games today got canceled. There was a big player meeting where they discussed what to do going forward. While all that was going on, the MLS canceled their slate of five games on Wednesday, and Major League Baseball canceled three games. And then yesterday, the National Hockey League canceled games Thursday and Friday, also as a sign of solidarity. So really just a complete shutdown of American sports yet again. Not as long, just for a couple of days, and now the NBA is going to resume tomorrow on Saturday. But, John, just a really, really weird scene for a very, very weird reason. But I kind of want to start kind of where the NBA players all were on Wednesday night. You know, they're sitting in a room in their hotel discussing – what to do mm-hmm. uh, they they obviously some of them have a desire to not play some of them believe that playing is good they're all wrestling with this topic that is very very personal to them and john ultimately they decided they were going to continue playing and continue highlighting what's been going on with jacob blake and other incidents of uh, police interactions with unarmed men of color and so john i guess if you were kind of in that discussion with those players do you think that it would be justifiable to just end the season and go home? Or do you like what the NBA ended up deciding on? So I think that there's, there are so many facets to this conversation, right? In terms of the fact that this is a, a conversation that is both a detective conversation in terms of police investigations, right? In terms of what actually happened with Jacob Blake, first of all, which we're not going to, we generally try to avoid talking about things that we're not even remotely knowledgeable about. And so I don't, we're not going to discuss kind of the nature of what happened in that shooting today. But I mean, you obviously have that is the first factor, right? In terms of this conversation and the, the point at which the NBA said, okay, you know, we are protesting again in a new way. You have the fact that some players were even considering not playing even before the playoffs and the bubble even started. Right. So, I mean, we t- we've talked about Kyrie Irving before, um, the New York Times wrote an article about the boycott or strike or whatever you want to call it that happened on Wednesday. And, you know, it says some also began to question, as the Net star guard Kyrie Irving did in June before the 2019-20 season resumed, whether providing entertainment through basketball was actually diverting public attention away from the broader social justice movement. So we have that factor of, you know, the question, should sports even be happening right now, which is, I guess, kind of the question you're asking. And then we also have the question of, you know, the players employment, right? You know, these are players who make money because they play sports. I think an important factor to think about, you know, is this social activism is taking place in essentially the form of a strike, right? But a strike that's sanctioned by the league in a very strange way, you know, so we're trying to figure out right now, 
And those players were trying to figure out in that moment, what do we do with this social justice initiative that we want to do? While at the same time, I'm sure the owners are also pressuring them to play because that's what they're being paid for. So it's a little, I think, like trying to play, like just cut the season short, you'd lose about a billion dollars in revenue in national TV money, according to The Athletic, for stopping the season in the middle. Basically because you're saying, you know, I have the financial capability because I'm worth so much to just stop playing Mm -hmm. and you can't stop me. You know, and so I think the whole conversation together is a very, there are so many threads to untangle that like I can't imagine what that conversation must have been like even to begin with, you know? Yeah, especially for Milwaukee, who are those players are so close to where it mm-hmm. happened. And for the rest of the NBA, I really do understand the idea of not feeling capable to play. You know, they're, they've been away from their families for months now. They're seeing their direct community hurting. And that's just really, really difficult. And John, I guess from a much, much, much smaller scale, I remember when Kobe Bryant died I was in the champion office working on a Sunday for a newspaper production and I just, that hit me very hard and I just needed to take the rest of the day off. I was just in, I was in no position to work. I was in no position to write. My mind, my heart was not there and everyone was gracious enough. I took the rest of the day and I came back tomorrow on Monday, the next day. And I understand the need for that. So even just as a, just a way to reassess, to reset, to recharge, But ultimately, I am glad that they decided to play because you mentioned Mm -hmm. the situations with Kyrie Irving, with Dwight Howard, who were questioning whether or not they should go to the bubble at all. But John, to be honest, I think that the NBA bubble and those games have had a positive effect on social justice. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell an NBA player what they should or what they should not do. I'm not going to tell a black person what they should or should not do in this kind of instance. But looking at it as objectively as I can, you know, Kyrie Irving, who is not in the bubble because of an injury, I haven't heard him speak on social justice. I tried to do a little bit of research today, and I know that he's been posting and he has done a lot, but it hasn't gotten any mainstream attention what he's been doing for the social justice movement in the last month or two. But every night I see LeBron James speaking. I see Doc Rivers speaking. I see Chris Paul speaking. Those are the voices I'm hearing, and I'm hearing them because they're in the bubble playing. And I'm watching their games. And afterward, they're, they're using their time with the microphone to speak about what they care about. And I really do think that as a way to amplify their platform, what they're doing is helping their cause by playing. But it definitely is a tough situation. And wanting to be with their communities and wanting to be with their families and wanting to protest, I'm sure, is a very, very compelling thing for them as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm glad for their cause that they're going to finish out this season. Yeah, I think... I think kind of the place that I've found myself constantly returning to in this conversation is it kind of has two parts. And the first is just this, like the athletic writer, uh, Marcus Thompson, wrote a really powerful column kind of discussing how important like real action is, you know, that racism is ultimately, it's an inside out problem that affects people, you know, that people make choices to, do racist actions, you know, and he talked a lot about as a black man, you know, how transforming black communities ultimately doesn't actually change the problem of things like police brutality and racial profiling. And he shared his own story as a journalist of 
when he was a young journalist, how he was racially profiled for getting into his own car. Like the someone called the police on him and he was arrested for at least some point and they finally let him go. But like, it was this crazy story, you know, but they just refused to believe that it was his car. You know, like I know for me personally, like I have not experienced that, but I would never want to discount that. And I've heard the amount of stories from Milwaukee Bucks players to just average people, you know, that that's a experience that's replicated in many places across the country. And so that's, I guess, what I want to preface all of this with is like, you know, there is a certain amount of the fight against racism that anyone who's a decent person should be for, right? And so there's a certain amount of the protests that are happening right now that I think every person should be for, right? And I don't think really that's not the question of our current cultural moment. And I guess that's where this conversation gets sticky because that's where our conversation really, I think for the first time on this podcast becomes not, becomes a social issue question that's, that can't be answered by sports, right? In any sense. You know, this divide that we're seeing on the basketball court right now, where you're seeing people on Twitter saying, go play your sport. Why are you stopping playing? Why are you protesting all this stuff? The divide is because some people are saying, though maybe not fully justified, the shooting of Jacob Blake was, you know, unfortunate in an act of self-defense to a degree by the officer. Other people are saying it's a disgusting racist attack on Jacob Blake, right? And your opinion of that circumstance, your opinion of what racism is, your opinion of what systemic racism is, your opinion of how to help police be more accountable, your opinion of how to stop crime, your opinion of how to help police integrate into communities and how to make communities more sustainable in a way that police and black communities aren't afraid of each other. Like, your opinion on all of those things is now determined by your place on one side of a political aisle or another. And the sad reality is that we're seeing that on the sports court now. And what I've been seeing a lot in the media, what I've been seeing from players is that there's one solution to the problems that I think a lot of us agree are there. And if you disagree with the solution, then you're against us. I think that's the challenge that we have to sift through right now is the the act of the protest isn't necessarily kind of the problem here. That's that the protests are asking for actionable change in society right now. We don't agree what actionable change is. The moment we're in now is that I think you're seeing sports divide along the political lines that our country is dividing along as we're steamrolling down towards November and you know, I think it's it's tremendously sobering for me, quite honestly. Yeah, I want to respond to a couple of things you said. First, I'm not I'm not afraid to say that the the Jacob Blake situation is not as clear cut as what happened with George mm-hmm. Floyd, and I've heard people on both sides of the aisle who have admitted that. Now, um, to me, it's pretty clear that seven shots from a six inch range are not necessary. That seems unnecessary, and that's a, that, that is a clear example, of, in my opinion, of excessive force, having done some research, um, even with the NRA citing how many 9 millimeter bullets it would take to stop someone. They said it was roughly between two and three. Right. And so, you know, but beyond, beyond that, 
so but there there is more nuance to this particular argument which is kind of what you're speaking to of how you kind of get put into a political camp either way and nuance kind of gets taken out of it but the fact that we're seeing primarily a one-sided reaction from the sports world i think speaks to two things one is the race factor where 70 percent of the nba is african-american and the other sport except for hockey most of the other sports are at least half if not majority minority as well um, but the second thing is also an age thing where the the generation these players are age-wise is also more liberal mm-hmm. um, then that's that's culture wise so a lot of the backlash you see from athletes are coming from primarily white people in their 50s and 60s you're not seeing that backlash coming from people in the same age range as these athletes are and so they may be more proportional to their age demographic than what some might think but regardless of all of that john i think that when we look at kind of what you mentioned that it does seem one side and that you know there's a narrative that you're supposed to accept i don't think that's entirely true and i think you know a couple weeks ago on this podcast we talked about the reaction how there was no backlash for jonathan isaacs Mm-hmm. or for Miles Leonard choosing to stand for the anthem. I remember a few months ago, Jorge Masvidal, a fighter in the UFC, he wore a Make America Great Again face mask when he went into the octagon. And there was some backlash, but for the most there part, was. people accepted yeah. it. You know, Dana White, the president of the USC, spoke at the Republican National Convention. You know, that, didn't, that doesn't stop John Jones or other black men for, from, you know, participating in his league um yeah but i think i mean i wouldn't necessarily agree right i mean you say herschel walker for example I mean, the things that were trending on twitter right when he spoke at the rnc it was very clear like i think that there have been instances jonathan isaac i was very impressed i was very happy that like like we discussed it that you know there was a generally a bipartisan feel that like you know this is this is good for us but I have not been seeing that over the past week and obviously there are heightened tensions, but I don't, I don't feel like this is like a lot of the circumstances we had over the past couple months. I feel like we maybe were, some people might argue that activism was being swept under the rug. Other people might argue that we were starting to try to maybe come to an agreement on what it would mean going forward and whatever, however you want it to be, this, state we were in slowly starting to reach a month ago is now totally gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, for me, like if, if Herschel Walker, right. Who is a black man wants to state his political opinion and is castigated as, you know, being fake. Right. Like, I think there's a problem there. Right. Like, isn't he entitled to his opinion? Just because you disagree with him doesn't mean that he's like somehow evil. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's the problem is once you start speaking along those lines, right? Like if you demonize people in politics, you will eventually, if you demonize them enough, you will start demonizing them in sports too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to speak culturally for a minute. Then I'll come back to sports. Yeah. Culturally, what I've seen in the past couple of days has honestly shocked me. Mm-hmm. I've seen groups of protesters harassing mm-hmm. people sitting in a restaurant because they won't raise their fist. That just, doesn't help anything you know forcing someone into compliance with what you believe is not a way to actually engage someone on an issue and convince them that you're right it's just really just trying to force your belief onto someone else yesterday 
uh, Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, was leaving a representative or senator. I don't remember. But he was leaving the Republican National Convention and was being followed by protesters saying, say her name, say her name in regards to Breonna Taylor. Rand Paul, after Breonna Taylor was killed, met with Breonna Taylor's family and introduced the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act into the U.S. Congress, ending no-knock warrants. And these protesters were telling him to say her name when he was the one who created, literally introduced the law, honoring her name to prevent what happened to her from ever happening again. You know, what we're seeing is so polarized and so divisive that it really does. I share your concern that there is no going back. And when you translate that to sports, it does seem like you either have to take one side or be silent. Mm -hmm. I've had friends tell me, or just bring up to me the fact that, you know, you, you could never say blue lives matter on a basketball court, or you could never say, maybe, I, I, you probably could never say unborn lives matter on the basketball court, but you can say black lives matter. Mm-hmm. That, that's the approved talking point of the league. That's one mm-hmm. of the approved phrases on your jersey. That's one of the approved slogans that they'll put on the basketball court. And so... What we've talked about in the past, John, and what I think is really the important difference here is athletes now want the leagues to get involved rather than just let the athletes speak as individuals. So now it's a matter where the league has to produce a statement on an issue or the league has to donate money. And what that does is it makes the league kind of take a side. And so rather than athletes being allowed to say whatever they want, and the league is just a neutral arbiter of that or facilitator of it. Now the league is kind of an invested party into that. Mm-hmm. And that complicates things. I don't think it complicates things in a good way because what that does is it alienates and it's for in all intents and purposes, silences someone who might care about something completely different. You know, if you care about the police or if you care about if you're pro-life and that's the issue you care about, you don't have a platform to talk about that in the NBA. There are only specific issues that you have a platform to talk about if those are things that you care about. I guess that kind of takes me down to, I guess, what's kind of my last kind of question for this conversation. What I've been really been thinking about a lot is, you know, again, I'm not against people protesting for Black Lives Matter if they're doing it peacefully. You know, I'm not against NBA players doing whatever they want to, you know, kneel for the anthem. And for the anthem, you know, I've said before, I don't care. You know, this is a free country as of right now. And the, the question that we're faced with is if you politicize a sports league in a country that's polarized, you know, how can we go any further with sports? You know, is, is sports for half the country? Like, are we just going to say, you know, if you disagree with me, you can't play sports with me. You can't watch me play sports. I won't play for you. Yada, yada. Like, you know, if someone if someone is seriously like brutally racist, like actually, like not like a question of, you know, do you have certain preconceived biases against people like like we all do? You know, I've if we go by microaggressions, I have been microaggressed against because of my Russian background, right? By me. Yes, by you. Actually, are you, I've been macro-aggressed against by you. <laughs> but, you know, like, in all seriousness, like, so I understand where people are coming from, from that perspective, right? And so, like, if, if someone is like, this person is a legitimate racist, according to what we can all agree 
is a dehumanization of people, then, okay, let's talk about, you know, what does it mean for us to be a sport that gets rid of that behavior? You know, but if these things come down to questions of politics, to questions of economic redistribution, is that, is sports the place to be mandating beliefs on economic redistribution? Personally, I don't think so. Sports is a place for entertainment, right? Because literally everything else in our society is politicized right now, literally everything else. So, you know, I'm fine, like I've said before, with sports people making political statements. But if sports are just all about politics, like why have them? And maybe that's what these people are asking. Maybe they realize they just don't like sports anymore. I don't know, (laughs) but that's what it comes down to, I think. Yeah, I I think it's kind of an example to what you just said a few years ago when the NBA forcibly removed Donald Sterling from his ownership of the Los Angeles Clippers. That contrast to what's happened recently with U.S. Senator Kelly Loeffler, who has not been forced to sell her share of the Atlanta dream. And, you know, the difference is Donald Sterling told his mistress, I don't like when you are seen around black people. And then Kelly Loeffler said, I don't support the Black Lives Matter political organization. Those are two very different statements and they were handled very differently. And, you know, I think the WNBA deserves credit for taking a more inclusive stance by letting her keep her ownership and her players are still cashing the checks that she's signing. And, while, you know, while refusing to say her name in public. So I, I, I don't give right. them any credit for that. But Well, correct. But <laughs> the point is, you know... I follow you. Yeah, she's not being completely ostracized. It really is going to come down to what the sports fan is willing to accept. Yeah. You know, for me, I don't care if someone disagrees with me. I don't care if Jorge Masvidal wears a Trump mask. I wouldn't care if someone else wore a Biden mask. I'm not going to talk about who I support and who I don't, but... On either side of that, I would not care. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's a very big deal. (laughs) And some people only want entertainment that's going to perfectly, you know, match what they care about. But to them, I say, what entertainment is left for you? Like legitimately. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if if you, if I, as a Christian, let's put it this way. If I, as a Christian, only watch movies that I agree with, I would never watch a single Hollywood movie. There's no movies. There's almost no music. There's, you know books what are what is what does the author of a book think you know the jk rowling scandal you know <laughs> what is the form of entertainment that's going to be free from politics for you there isn't one right. no there isn't and i think that's i think that's inherently a good thing because i don't think your profession should dictate whether or not you're allowed to speak on politics i think an athlete who makes you know 50 million dollars a year has just as much of a right to speak on politics as i do right now you know that's just mm-hmm. and he he's not disqualified from his position by being rich and famous and i'm not disqualified from my position from being not as rich and not nearly as famous but we're we're both just people who care right and why is that but it's because we live in a democracy where every vote counts exactly the same that's right. right i mean you can you can fund and lebron can fund way more things than i can but in the end he has one vote i have one vote right that's right and that's what democracy is about it's about discussing things reasonably it's about discussing things in an open way hearing other people's opinions out listening to the other side that means republicans and conservatives need to be empathetic and to go outside of their realm that they live in and it means that you know the people who are more liberal and are more in control of the general media halls need to be more willing to listen to the other side too because there's things Mm -hmm. to learn from both and 
I think that's ultimately my takeaway from this week. Yeah, and to kind of transition a little bit, the only thing that's going to stop a league from going in the direction it's going would be they lose money over it. And that kind of leads <laughs> to a question that we got from Zach Cooler, and he said, is there a point where the NBA will draw a line between the money and the social justice initiatives? And there's a level in which the NBA is really not going to lose a whole lot of fans for the stance they're taking on Black Lives Matter. The people who are outraged about the NBA, I don't know if they could even name five NBA players. Like I mean, they, probably yeah. <laughs> they probably haven't watched the NBA in like years or like, ever. Like Ben Shapiro when they uh, yeah. when they when they announced the boycott, he, his tweet was, "Wait, the NBA was playing." So right, I mean, exactly. Like he, he would have I, if you asked Ben Shapiro to name ten NBA players, he could probably name like three. Correct. Like, you know, there's just there's just there's a level in which the people who are super angry by this probably weren't paying attention in the first place, and so right. this is a relatively yeah right. This is a relatively safe position for them to take when you compare that to what the NBA did with China <laughs> it was a very different situation and so Zach I think the social justice it's okay to admit that the social justice in many ways is designed around money Steve Kerr has actually apologized for what he originally said about China and he said that he was uneducated by giving China the benefit of the doubt and you know, I don't think I don't think being silent on one case means that they're wrong about the other. Being wrong about China doesn't mean you're wrong about Black Lives Matter. It doesn't invalidate what they're doing with Black Lives Matter, but it is it is at least worthwhile to point out that blatant hypocrisy mm-hmm. and why the reason why was obviously motivated by the financial interest in China. Right. Like you said, it Obviously, boycotting, you know, like just a total cancellation of the NBA schedule would be a massive monetary loss, which owners did not want, right? But the NBA, for their viewership, social justice initiatives for the NBA, for Black Lives Matter, is not like some kind of bold, risky thing. Like mm-hmm. people are talking a lot about it. It's like, oh, the NBA. I'm like, literally, everything from every NBA player and reporter I have seen is like, two thumbs up, this is great. You know, so it's like, that's not like some kind of scary thing. It's scary if you're like, we have sponsorship deals with China and you know what? China is evil and is out to destroy people and is murdering millions of Muslims. Then it's like, oh, okay. And so, and we see none of that, right? So I think it's clear from how they refuse to defend Daryl Morey that, you know, there is a degree of hypocrisy there. Again, that doesn't mean everything is wrong, but it does mean that motives are called into question. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't want, I don't people to think that I, I've seen people say because the NBA was signed on China, they're, they're, they can't possibly write about social justice in America. And those things aren't equivalent. You know, two wrongs in this case don't make a right. One can be a wrong and one can be a right. And, you know, doing something wrong one time doesn't invalidate what you do the second time. But it at least is noteworthy to point out. And I think, I think if you ask people, even in the NBA, like Steve Kerr, he admitted that. He was uneducated, uninformed, and apologized for what he had originally said about China. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of sum up, I mean, again, it doesn't, even if it doesn't invalidate, the problem, right, is if players want the league itself to be making these decisions rather than players themselves, if players want the league to be taking these political stances for them, then the NBA's decision to back one but not the other is directly hypocritical and money-based, and it demonstrates that as much as people want any of this to be about 
you know, the NBA's moral hegemony or whatever, like ultimately the NBA is doing these things because the players make them, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. John, I think we'll leave that conversation there and we'll come back with VAR Corner and wrap everything up after that. So stay tuned for VAR Corner in just one second. And we are back with VAR Corner where we're both handing out some clear and obvious errors this week. And John, yours is a little bit more timely. So why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, so mine is going to the laughable organization that is FC Barcelona. I'm sorry, Chad. Calling them laughable is a little bit of an overstatement there. Okay, uh, any team. Okay, just for some backstory, for those of you who don't keep up with European soccer very much, 8-2 is a bad loss in hockey. Okay, and hockey has many more goals than soccer. And yet, FC Barcelona... One of the most storied soccer clubs in the history of the game of soccer and one of the most storied teams in the history of sports, period. Wait, wait, You just described them as one of the most storied clubs in the history of soccer and you opened this talk by saying that they're, laugh- laugh- they're, they're a laughable organization. Yes, they are. You have to, you have to choose, choose one. I'm, I'm about, no, they can be storied and laughable in this present moment. Why? Because... FC Barcelona in the Champions League semifinals, the semifinals. Okay, this is a massive game, okay? We all know what a semifinal is, right, Chad? Quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. You're right. We'll keep this in just so I can ruin my rant just a little bit. But in the quarterfinals. I had had to knock you off your game. (laughs) And no, I'm back on now because it's still so bad. The quarterfinals, Bayern Munich beat Barcelona eight goals to two in a soccer game. In a soccer game. Can you imagine... Losing eight goals to two. Nothing. This has not been done since I watched it. This has not been done. Okay, since Germany Brazil seven one in two thousand fourteen, Barcelona collapsed. Okay, they collapsed. And not only that, but after collapsing the Champions League for like the past four years, the arguably the greatest player in the history of soccer is attempting to leave because he hates the team's management so much. He is attempting to leave Barcelona, the club that he arrived at at age thirteen that he should be leaving, retiring with flying colors at like the age of like 38. He should be there for the rest of his life. He should be a manager the whole nine yard. Lionel Messi is a Barcelona legend and they are kicking him out and trying through a legal battle to make him stay when he does not want to. And it is the most shambolic thing. It is the most laughable thing. And the best part, the best part of all of this (laughs) is that Barcelona conceded two goals in that game against Bayern Munich to their most expensive signing of all time, Felipe Coutinho, who was on loan to Bayern Munich at the time. There can be no greater humiliation than this month for FC Barcelona. And their criminal mismanagement of everything in their club is what I give my VAR corner to. Hey, John, can I ask you a question? Sure. Why are you so sensitive to scorelines that end 8-2? I'm not particularly sensitive. Really? You don't have any particularly bad personal no. memories about scores that no, are 8-2? That, that was before my time, so I have no memories of it, actually. It's just a, just a blip in the Arsenal radar. See, to, to be clear, the reason why John is so happy to excoriate Barcelona in the manner that he did is because that 8-2 scoreline means that Barcelona joins some very, very prestigious company as only Arsenal before them had ever lost 8-2. to two. And who did they lose to, John? I want you to say it. I actually have, have wiped it from my memory. I don't know. You can Arsenal say lost 8-2 to Manchester United several years ago. How does ago. it feel, Chad? How does it feel that 
out of this season, after everything has happened, I am the one with the trophy, while you have absolutely nothing and a prison charge <laughs> that you your name. I'm still, I still want to know if, okay, for those of you who don't know, a Manchester United player was arrested in Greece for a bribery and assault, and I still want to know if an, if an ankle monitor is an approved part of the football uniform because it's going to need to be. Maybe they can, like, put it in his, like, shin pad or something. That'd be great. But so all that to say is John is sensitive because he's just happy that another team has ever lost a game quite as bad as his. And Chad's, Chad's just deflecting because he's so humiliated. It's okay, Chad. 100%. 100%. My VAR corner is going to Los Angeles Clippers two-way wing Paul George. And it's for two reasons. First is because Paul George has not been playing well in the series against the Mavericks, which has been now, I guess, suspended, but it's going to resume game six. The Clippers are up three to two. But... In games, I believe, two, three, and four of this series, Paul George scored 11, 14, and 14 points, respectively. Oof. Which is awful for a player of his caliber. But I really want to talk about Paul George because Paul George has a really, really unique way of being on the losing end of game-winning buzzer beaters. Last year, you all remember that Damian Lillard shot the Oklahoma City Thunder out of the playoffs with a buzzer beater three. And who was defending him on that play? (laughs) Paul George. This year in the bubble, the first buzzer beater of the season was courtesy of a three-pointer by Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns. Who was guarding him on that play? Paul George. And in game four (laughs) of this series against the Mavericks, Luka Doncic hit one of the most incredible shots you will ever see in the history of basketball against the Los Angeles Clippers. And while Paul George was not directly guarding him <laughs> on this play, I, I, I so wish he was. On the play before that, when Luka took the lead on a layup, he drove right into the teeth of Paul George and scored it on him again. Paul George, for being as good of a scorer and as good of a defender as he apparently is, has really struggled doing both when it matters most. <laughs> We just had two really well-spoken VAR corners. Like, this is, this is 10 out of 10 content. Thank you. I, I, I tried to interrupt yours as much as possible, but you still managed to pull it off. So, <laughs> Thank you guys for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Please interact with us on our Facebook page, on our Twitter account, on our Instagram profile. We would love to hear from you, get some response on what we're doing well, what we can improve on. What topics you'd like to hear us talk about? Like I mentioned, we answered Zach's question today. We're happy to answer your question any week on the podcast. So we will send out another call out on our Instagram story, asking for questions with a poll. And we would love some input from you guys on what you'd like to hear us talk about and discuss. We're glad the second part of the podcast could bring some laughs after the first part was uh, very heavy, but obviously a a topic that this podcast really was made to discuss Mm. this this very thing. Yeah, and then to just close everything off, Chad, I'm going to give you a total of five seconds to answer this important question. Who is your favorite Jedi? Obi-Wan. The correct answer. Yours as well? Yes, absolutely. Good. Yeah, I was like, like, I'm trying to think of like, am I missing someone? But it's really not that difficult. It's really not that difficult. It's Obi-Wan. I mean, Yoda is like a close second, but Obi-Wan is. They both kind of play the same role. They really do. Yeah. Except just just in very different ways. I can't I wait we, for the Kenobi show. 
It's gonna be good. I cannot wait. I think what we just learned is that we both want to kind of project the old wise mentor on ourselves, which is probably not something we deserve, <laughs> but something that we do pretty regularly. <laughs> Like, we think that we're respected voices of the Jedi Council, when really we have the temper of Anakin. We have the temper of Anakin, and we're on the Council without the rank of Master. Yeah, I think, I think you and I both saying Obi-Wan is really because we know that we're both Anakins, and we're just trying to deflect that fact. That's fair enough. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I think we've, we've exhausted your patience. I think we have. But we had to get the Star Wars in there somewhere. We did. Until next week, guys, we will talk to you then. All right. Cheers, guys.